Good morning. My name is Lorinda. I'm one of the pastors here. We're really glad that you're here in worship with us today. I hope this was an absolutely fantastic week for you that you got to spend with family and friends. And I'm just knocking things over and let's see if I can get, here we go. Um, And you got to spend some time with your family and with your friends. Um, I'll tell you that this past week uh, has been a a good week in that um, I got to be with in-laws and my family as well. And so I don't know if you, if you live in that tension of trying to make sure everybody gets seen and that you make it to all the places that people have an expectation that you will make it to. Um, we got to do that. We got to do that. And it, uh, it was a little chaotic at times, but it was also like a ton of fun. I really enjoy being with my husband's side of the family. They are, um, there's a lot of them. A lot of them. Um, one of my favorite in-laws is my mother-in-law, Lillian. I really love my mother-in-law. She's just an amazing lady. She's raised five boys, and I know all five of them and know that not all of them were easy boys to raise and not easy boys as men, right? Um, not my husband, of course. The easiest one of them all, of course. Um, But one of the things that, there are a lot of reasons um, that I love my mother-in-law, but probably one of, probably the number one reason I love her as much as I do is the way that she is a grandmother to all of her grandchildren. She's just good at it. She just like was born to the role kind of thing. Have you ever known a grandmother like that? Like you just like, were you a grandmother when you were 20? Because you've all, you see this has that, right? And and all the kids know, all the grandkids know that they are deeply and profoundly loved um, by their grandmother. I remember when uh, all of our kids were little. In fact, Robert and I were kind of the pioneers in all of this. We had the first three grandchildren. Um, some years later, we had the first granddaughter. And so we were just breaking all kinds of molds in the Kwiatkowski family, right? And I remember when our kids were little, it was really important to me that when my mother-in-law and father-in-law came to visit, that things were just right. My kids used to call it, when they got a little older, they would, you might want to leave the house because mom is in the zone. And I wanted everything perfect. I wanted everything to be so clean when she would come. And, and it wasn't that she was like that. It wasn't that she would come to my house and like rub her hand across furniture and see if she could find dust. She's not like that at all. It's just I wanted everything to be perfect. And so I would clean and the kids would clean and we would be ready. We would prepare for this visit for days in advance. When Anna was born, the first granddaughter, I'm telling you, they didn't even wait till we were home from the hospital. There was a visit from mother-in-law and father-in-law. And we always really enjoyed those. I remember one day, just like middle of the week, Nothing big happening. I walked into the living room. We have four children. And I walked in the living room. And I said, everybody come into the living room. Because in my hand, I held the fingernail clippers. And I said, we are going to clip everyone's fingernails and toenails. And one of the kids said, is grandma coming? (laughs) It's like, hey, that's not the only time we do things like this. Right? I look back on that and I remember just how important it was to me because I just felt like the stakes were so high. In raising children, it was just, in my mind, one of the most important things I would ever do. And and I wanted to get it right and I wanted my mother-in-law, I wanted to impress 
I wanted to be a good mom, and I wanted to impress one of the best moms I knew. Raising kids, we get, we get it right. The stakes are high. This past week, all the clergy meet every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and all of the clergy were at our clergy meeting, and we were having a conversation. We were discussing the procedures and the policies that we have in place here at university to make absolutely certain that the children that are entrusted to our care are kept safe while they are in our care. Because we know that the stakes, I mean, we know the importance of this, right? We know that. And so while we're talking about this, one of the clergy said these words. We must be diligent about this because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. There's so many things in our lives that when we stop and we look at them, we, we get it. Like we know, how, we know how to kind of wrap our head around the fact that this is important. This is like a big deal and we know it. We get that the stakes are high. And so we want things to be done well and we want things to be done right. I would suggest to you that like the level of importance of a person that's coming or the level of the importance of an event or something that's about to happen can be seen in how we prepare for it or how we prepare for them. When someone is coming that's important to us, we want to prepare for that. When there's an event that's about to take place and we know that in that event, um, there's great importance when we wrap our heads around the fact that the stakes are high. The way that we prepare for it can put us sometimes in the zone. We want to get it right. This morning we're beginning a sermon series on the first Sunday of Advent. A sermon series titled Overcome. A sermon series where we're going to take this time in Advent to stop and to look that the world that we live in, the places and the times where it feels like darkness might be winning, and be reminded that the light of Jesus Christ always has the power to overcome, always has the power to overcome whatever darkness it might be that we see or that we live in or that we are experiencing. And this morning, we're going to begin that sermon series by looking at a, a prophet, a New Testament prophet, prophet known as John the Baptist. John the Baptist. We're going to take a look at his words and how he speaks to the people because it's really clear, right? It is really, really clear that John the Baptist gets the level of importance that's taking place in this very first advent to ever happen. And so... This morning, we're going, to, um, we're going to open up our Bibles to the New Testament book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be reading about John the Baptist. And so what I'd like to invite you to do as you listen to these words being read, I'd like to invite you to listen for what you hear, uh, what you believe might be the, the main theme of John the Baptist's message. In this passage in Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, what is it that is the central, high stakes, most important theme of John the Baptist's message? If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew, chapter 3. If you do not have your Bibles with you, the words will be on the screen, or you can open up our app on your phone and read along. Hear now the word of God. 
In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. And, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. To, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the promise that it holds and the challenge that it presents. So we pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word in a way that leaves us somehow changed. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, John's name He's referred to as John the Baptist. And so it might be that we begin to think to ourselves that certainly baptism was a central part of what his message was, right? And it's true that many, many people, thousands of people were coming and, and John the Baptist was baptizing them. But really, if you look at what he's talking to the people about and he's a voice crying out in the wilderness and this is what he's saying, repent, repent. He, he gets it. He knows the stakes are high. He gets how important the coming of Jesus Christ is, this light into the darkness. But he wants the people to prepare their hearts and their minds and their lives for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so he says to them, repent. In verse 3, repent. He says it again um, in verse 8. He talks about live a life, like let the fruit that you bear be fruit that is worthy of the repentance that you have practiced. In verse 11, he says, I baptize with water for repentance. Repentance. Now, the words that Matthew uses to describe John are the words that are used by Isaiah. I think prophets are like a really interesting group of people. Have you ever like looked at some of the Old Testament prophets and some of the things they're kind of remembered for? Uh, they're kind of strange. They're sort of weird. Um, prophets aren't really known for being like normal folk that just sort of fit in wherever they go. You know, it's like they're, they're, they're okay. They're comfortable making other people a little uncomfortable. They're the people who come in and say the things that lots of times people don't want to hear. And sometimes they do it in some really strange ways. 
they get people's attention. Some examples of that are some of the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament and some of the ways that they got people's attention. Uh, it doesn't, it's not exactly normal. Um, Jeremiah is known for smashing a bunch of jars before an audience. Ezekiel baked some bread over human waste. And yes, I mean poop. Isaiah had a whole episode that lasted about three years where he didn't wear any clothes. That's not normal. That's just not normal. And I guarantee you, those things got people's attention. And none of them were without significance. Isaiah is the one who said, 700 years before this, 700 years before Matthew says it, Isaiah said, there is one who will cry out in the wilderness. And he will cry out, prepare your hearts for the Lord. Make straight his paths. And how do we do that? How, do we, how did the people then and how do we now prepare our hearts for the Lord? How do we make straight his paths? Well, John the Baptist says, we do that by repenting. John the Baptist comes with a message that not everybody wanted to hear. And he says, you have sin and the darkness of sin in your life. And you need a savior. Most of us don't want to hear that we're in need of anything. I got it. I got it. I can't tell you how many times I've really had a need. And when people said, is there something I can do to help? I've said, no, I got it. I'm good. John the Baptist says, no, you're not. There's sin and there's darkness in your life, and you need to repent of that. You need to recognize your need for a Savior. And repentance does involve us seeing and acknowledging and, and recognizing the sin in our lives, right? And being sorry for it, but it doesn't stop there. It isn't just about saying, oh my gosh, I recognize this is sin and I'm so sorry. That's part of it. But it's really just the first part of it. Because repentance means that that sorrow over that sin leads us to action. That sorrow over that sin says that there's a change in us. In fact, the New Testament word for repent actually means change of mind. So repentance, what it does is we recognize that sin and we're sorry over that sin. And then we say, I want a change of mind. I want a change of heart. And I want a change of actions. I want to live my life differently. I want to repent in such a way that I'm preparing my heart for the coming of Christ in my heart and in my life, right? And I want to live differently. I want things to be different from this point forward. Repent. Repent. So this is not a word that we really use a lot in our world today. I don't think, anyway. I never held a sign that had the word repent on it. I, I seldom in conversations with people are like, you better repent. I say it, but not exactly with that word. Repent is a word that's kind of almost, if you would, kind of gone out of use and almost out of style. I'll tell you that when I was in uh, Granbury, when Robert and I and our kids lived in Granbury, I was in a Disciple One Bible study with a lady named Judy Coates. Judy Coates is probably about 30 years older, 25, 30 years older than I was. She already had raised her children, and it would just seemed like she totally had it all together. Like, I would just look, I mean, she was that person you know, like you want to be. 
I don't know if you've ever had anybody like that, but you're like, if I could be anybody other than Batman, I would be that person right there, right? Judy Coates was that person. I, she just had it together. And, and I remember we were in our Disciple Bible Study class, and we were talking about the different ways that God speaks into people's lives, the different ways that, like, Jesus comes and kind of shatters that darkness and brings forth light. And somebody said something about, well, I just don't like it when people, you know, take their Bible and hit you. I mean, we had this whole conversation where we were really kind of criticizing, not appropriate, but kind of criticizing some of the ways that people think it's okay. And I, and all my, you know, like at the time was probably like 27 or 28, something, I don't know. Anyway, I said, oh yeah, like there's people that walk around with signs that say, repent, the end is near. How many people do they really save? <laughs> And Judy Coates, this person who had it all together that I had this massive amount of respect for, said, you know, years ago, I was living in California, and I was living as a drug addict in brokenness, and I was walking down the street one day and saw a man literally holding a sign that said, repent, the end is near. And something about those words hit me. And, I, and she recognized the brokenness. She recognized the darkness. Now, please don't leave here and I'll go home and make signs that say, repent, the end is near. And on the other side, University United Methodist Church welcomes you. That is not what I'm suggesting that we do. What I'm suggesting that we do is recognize that God uses different voices in different ways. But the message is clear. We stand in need of a Savior. And the only way that this darkness is going to be overcome is through the light of Jesus Christ. The sin in our lives is the darkness in our lives. And repentance is all about restoring our relationship with God. It's all about restoring our relationship with God. So if there's something that I've said today that you're like, man, that is just not good news. She's just all like, repent, you're all going to burn. No, this, I apologize because I've said it wrong. What I'm saying to you is good news. It is good news that Jesus can overcome, has the power, and is the light that can come overcome whatever darkness you might be living in. Whatever sin it is that you think cannot be overcome, we are reminded by John the Baptist in the words that he spoke that you prepare your heart, you prepare your life for the coming of Jesus Christ by repenting of that sin, turning it over and letting the light of Christ overcome that darkness, overcome that sin that may be in your life. So this morning, I want to kind of issue this challenge for you because I'll, I'll tell you, good news for me is something that is um, hard not to share. When, I, I, when I'm given good news, it's, if, you, if you share good news with me and you don't want me to tell anybody else, you don't want me to tell anybody else, you need to tell me. I'm going to tell you this good news, but don't tell anybody else. A few of you who will remain nameless have come to me and said, we're having a baby but don't tell anybody. I'm like, don't tell me. Do not share that news with me until I can share that good news with everybody else. That's just too exciting. This is good news that we are meant to be, that voice in the wilderness that we live in. And, and I don't believe that God is calling any one of us. I know, I'm really sure he's not calling me to move out to the wilderness. 
and eat honey and locusts and dress in camel hair, as appealing as that may sound and as much as I may want to. And I really don't think God's saying you need to have your fingernails and toenails clipped perfectly all the time, although that's never a bad idea. What God is calling us to is repentance. Change of heart, change of mind, change of life, change of actions. I'm not moving out to the wilderness. I'm not doing that. And that's good news. But I must live my life, and I believe you must live your lives as well. Through the light of Christ, as though the light of Christ is making a difference in the world in which we live. We must live as people who have experienced a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life, a change of actions. When the, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to John and said, baptize us, and he said no, they didn't qualify for baptism, not because they came from the Abraham lineage, not because they were Jewish, he was baptizing Jewish and Jews and Gentiles. It was because they refused to repent. They refused to have a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of life. And John knew that. May that never be true of any one of us. That we would want just religiosity and religious piety and walk away from the offer of change, of repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of life. We must be people who are willing to live our lives in a way that makes a difference in the world in which we live. We must be a voice crying out in the wilderness that says, make way. The light is coming, and it has the power always to overcome the darkness. Let's pray about that together. <clears throat> God, we are, um, we are sometimes a pretty hard-headed people. And it can be just really difficult to own that we have a need for anything. It can be really hard to say, this is sin and I need to move away from it. But God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the goodness and grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, we ask that you would shatter those things in our lives so that we would hear and believe that your light can overcome any darkness in our lives. Give us courage to truly repent to be sorry for the sin in our lives, to turn away from it and move in the direction of you. Thank you, God, that repentance is all about restoring our relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.